Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we uh, open up your word this morning, that you would bless people, that you'd speak to their hearts. Lord, we uh, pray that you would just do a great thing in uh, this room today. Lord, we want to pray for the uh, younger kids who've, who've gone out for their class. I pray that you would teach them things, that you would give them a passion and an excitement for you. I want to thank you for, um, for them, and to see them dancing in the back is just such a kick. Um, and God, we, uh, we want to thank you for the opportunities that we have ahead of us this week, the opportunities at, at Maine in Motion, the opportunities that people have, uh, whether it be at the job or on vacation stuff or uh, at camp. Um, God, we pray that we would be used by you this week, that this would not be a week where we come back next week and there was really nothing, um, nothing special to talk about. So, Father, I pray that, uh, that you would work in our hearts today, that you'd prepare us for what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you've got your Bible. If you've got your Bible, assume the position. All right, let me see your swords. Lovely. All right, open up your Bible to uh, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. When I started preaching through Genesis, my goal was to get through chapter 11 very quickly. Um, And for some reason, I just can't seem to do it. There are some chapters in the Bible that I will honestly admit are not my favorites, because um, they require way more work. And when I was a kid, I used to get decent grades. In elementary school, we had um, O, S, and A, C. They didn't have A, B, C, D, and F. Um, They just had O, S, and A, C. Now, I always wondered, A, B, C, D, and then they skip E, right, and go right to F. A doesn't stand for anything. It's not like awesome, B, beautiful, C, kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, you spelled it wrong, but it was okay. You had the right sound, so you get a C. D, dunce, and F, fail. They don't stand for anything except for F, fail. Because that's we we really want to get across. Uh, but we had O, S, and A, C. O was outstanding. Then there was S, satisfactory. And they also had pluses. They had S plus and S minus. Like S minus was satisfactory-ish. And then there was satisfactory-erific or something with the plus. And then there was A, C, area of concern area of concern. I used to get ACs in spelling and um, effort. (laughs) Like, why do we have to have the effort grade? You know, just give me an S in math. Don't have to put on there S, effort, AC. Because you got two grades. You got like your actual grade and then the how hard you tried grade. Like, how do you know I wasn't trying? I was deep in thought. You know, drawing pictures. That's why I was always drawing pictures. What are you, are you working on your sentence structure? Yes, with X-Wing fighters and Jawas. Ooh, TD. You know, um, sent, anyway, why was I telling you that? Oh, yeah, some sections of the Bible require more effort to study. And, um, and, and as, um, putting together a message, some of them are definitely a little bit trickier. And so when I got to, when I looked ahead and I said, oh man, chapter 10, 11, you have all these genealogies and stuff. I just want to get past that. 
I just want to scoot right on over to uh, chapter 12 or so. Um, and, and the strangest thing happens. Every time I, I start putting together a message on chapter 11, uh, I just have more and more stuff. So anyway, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. I talked about this one last week about how God had given the people after, after they got off the ark, God gave them a very specific direction to go out, spread out throughout the world, and um, multiply and fill the earth. And they apparently didn't. They stuck around and they started building this, uh, this tower. And so we talked about the tower uh, last time. And so uh, this time I thought we would talk about what God does. It says, but the Lord came down to see the city. And the tower which the sons of man had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Linguists uh, cannot explain where language came from. I found this really interesting because I never really considered this before about human language. And so I, I did quite a bit of study this week and, and and last week, actually, honestly, about linguists, and it was really fascinating stuff, that linguists have no idea how human language came about. Of course, they have theories, hypotheses, man, area of concern, science, uh, hypotheses, hypotheses. Um, they have hypotheses, multiple hypo hypotheses of how language, I just want to say hypotheses is, so I'll just say that. They have multiple ideas, guesses. Um, and, of course, what's interesting when you read it, they talk about how language evolved. That's what they always want to talk about because I think they've kind of decided, well, it doesn't make sense that all of a sudden somebody had a baby and the baby was like, yo, mom, I want some milk. And mom, and mom was like, I don't know. And dad was like, hey, I want some milk. And then somebody else had a baby and was like, I want some milk too. And all the babies were like, we want some milk. And that's how like, they just came out talking. Nobody thinks that because that's crazy. Um, but here's the thing that's, that's fascinating about it is that uh, I was reading yesterday actually about how they try to teach uh, chimps and orangutans to, to, um, to use human language. And there's a lot of debate. The people that are teaching them sign language, uh, there was one I was reading about that knew 400 different signs. And what's interesting is the people that are doing the studies say, oh, yeah, they communicate. But the people that are studying the people that are doing the studies are saying, no, they're just, they're just mimicking what they've been taught. They don't act. If they want food, they make the sign for food because they were taught a sign for food and given food. And 
It's like the flashlight with your fish. Remember that in like third grade? Everyone wanted to do that science project where every time you fed your fish, you turned the light on. And all the fish, after a while, you turn the light on, the fish come up to the top. Like, where's my food? And you're like, ha, 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 up and down, up and down. And it's interesting because even the ones that studied it were basically saying that there's, n- there's not really any syntax involved. And, they, and what's really interesting is no matter what they show you in Hollywood pl- with Planet of the Apes, the apes don't have the physical capability of speech. They don't have the, the vocal structure that humans have. And so even, uh, even if they wanted to, they couldn't. Which led me to another thought. How did this evolution happen? Did, we, did people evolve? I'm being facetious because I don't believe in evolution at all. But did people, did people evolve vocal cords and then one guy one day is walking along and like, <coughs> hey, what's this strange structure in my throat that allows me to speak? Or did somebody like, I really want to speak, but I can't. I mean, how would he say that? And he found somebody else that was like squeaking. Oh, wow, she has partially formed vocal cords. We'll have children and they'll have more partially foreign vocal cords, and we'll teach them to have the desire to speak. And it makes no sense. It makes no sense because uh, if you've studied evolution, you know the problem with, with evolution is that partially formed structures and partially, formed, uh, partially evolved um, organs don't work. If you have a heart that's only partially evolved, what good is it? If you have eyes that are only partially evolved, what good are they? And in fact, the whole uh, theory of evolution says it's survival of the fittest, and, and if you have eyes that don't work... What good are they eventually? If, well, let's say you had wings that didn't work. You know, what good is that? You end up getting eaten, and then you don't s- pass on your genetic material. And so it's a self-defeating theory. Um, anyway, I, I was thinking about this because it's, it's a fascinating thing. The more I looked into language, the more I, I found that uh, no human tribe or culture has ever been discovered that did not have a spoken language. Every human culture that has ever been discovered had a spoken language. And here's the really amazing thing. They all exist as complete systems. There's no partially evolved languages where one guy's like, hey, how's it going? The other one's like, hey, I'm doing, sorry, I'm doing, if only there was more language to describe how I'm feeling. Um, There's no partially, there's no partially uh, evolved Languages. So I thought I'd share with you some of the hypotheses, I got it right that time, of where they say language comes from. Just to show you that when people refuse to believe what God says, they will believe anything. The first one, this is real, I'm not making this stuff up, because if I, if I didn't tell you, you'd probably be like, you're making that up. First one is called, this is the true name, the ding-dong hypothesis. Now the guy that named this, I don't know if he named it after himself, the ding-dong hypothesis. And the ding-dong hypothesis says that language be, uh, began when humans started naming objects, actions, and phenomena after a recognizable sound associated with it in real life. For example, the Chinook Indian word for heart is tun-tun. 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 Hey, let's call it the tun-tun. Good idea. And the Basque word for knife is ai-ai, which is literally the ouch-ouch. See the caveman. Ouch! 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 My tonton! Ouch! Ouch! Tonton! 
the problem with that, you know, it kind of makes sense. You're like, okay, I can see that, you know. I can see that. A guy picking up a rock, throwing it at his enemy, hitting him in the head and going, yeah, that rocks. Yeah, yeah let's call it a rock. You know? anyway, there are certain words that you can say, I can see how the word got its name from what it does. But the problem is, is that most things we know, such as sun, sky, love, et cetera, et cetera, they don't have any sound for them. And so that's the problem with the ding-dong hypothesis. The next one is called the poo-poo hypothesis. This is true. I'm not making this up. I couldn't. I am not that clever. The first words um, in the poo-poo hypothesis says that um, somebody's going to get, he, the pastor said poo-poo in church like five times. The first words that they say came from involuntary exclamations of dislike, hunger, pain, or pleasure, eventually leading to the expression of a more developed idea and emotion. The problem with this hypothesis is that uh, emotional exclamations are a very small part of any language. Uh, In English, somebody punches you in the face, you say, ouch. In Russian, you say, oi. In Cherokee, you say, ee. There's different sounds. It's not like all universal. You you know, you find out where somebody's from by punching them. Hey, I bet you can tell where you're from. Hi, Cherokee. How'd you know? Um, but the problem, again, is that uh, there's, uh, there's so many things that, uh, that don't have a, an exclamation that would go with them. Uh, then there's what they call the bow-wow hypothesis. And it holds that vocabulary developed from imitation of animal noises. Uh, thus, human interpretation of animal sounds is dependent upon individual language, and it's seemingly unlikely that entire vocabulary is derived from them. In other words, uh, if you go to China or Japan or if you go to, uh, to Europe, you'll find that if you talk about what a cat says or what a dog says, or what, they, they have different sounds. They don't all say meow and they don't all say ruff, ruff. Um, they have different noises for their animal sounds. And so even then, um, how do you get from imitating animal sounds to all of a sudden calling you know, it a mountain? There's, uh, there's these, these great stretches because, see, what will happen is, like many things, they come up with an initial idea of where maybe it started, but they have no idea um, where to go from, from there. Uh, another one is called the Tata Hypothesis. Uh, the organs of speech were used to imitate gestures of the hand. In other words, they say uh, that they start off using hand, hand signals and, and gestures to indicate what they were speaking about. And eventually they came out with sounds to match their gestures. Now, I have not been able to do this except for when watching like kung fu movies. Otherwise, I can never come up with any sounds for my hand motions. Like, you're like, whoa, maybe that's, woo, woo, woo. I, I don't, you know. You know, you do this. Like, whoosh, whoosh. I'm not getting any words out of any of this stuff. So, uh, again, um, then there's what they call the warning hypothesis. The warning hypothesis uh, comes from the idea of something that observed in animals that certain species of animals have certain sounds they make uh, when there's danger around or when there's a predator nearby to warn each other. And so there's some that believe that's where human language began was with that same warning response. The, uh, you know, there's a lion about to eat me. Ah! You know, hey, he's, there must be a lion about to eat that guy. Uh, the, the warning hypothesis. Another one is called the yo-he-ho hypothesis. Yo-he-ho. Um, yeah. 
Uh, and this is the one that says language developed on the basis of human cooperative effort. Apparently, they believe the first people were rowing a boat. Yo, hee ho. Um, but that's really what they're saying, that, that it was a collective effort. They came up with these sounds to get in sync. Maybe it was also they could have the same dance moves. I don't know. But that's, uh, that's one of them. Uh, the next one, probably my favorite, is called the lying hypothesis. The lying hypothesis. Right away, I'm like, I don't know if I believe this one. The lying hypothesis. See, they, they studied and they said there's something men do that nobody else does. What's that? Lie. Yeah, deceive. You're just, just us and maybe some possums, apparently. But um, we're the only ones that fake stuff and lie. And so the, one of the theories is that man's need to deceive was the social prompting that got language started. So they're all living together. Everything's going fine. But they're like, man... We need to come up with a language because I can't lie to any of these people. Again, these, these, when people don't believe what God says, they will believe the craziest stuff. You know, I know, I, I know people that, that reject God's word and believe everything else. I'm honestly, everything else. Aliens, reincarnation, conspiracy theories, you name it. They take it all. But when it comes to the Bible... Because when people won't believe the truth, uh, it's amazing what they will believe. This got me thinking about how I think. Because I think in English. I don't know about you, if you think in a specific language. But, but this, was, this was something I started thinking about this. About, wait a minute, how do we, how do we think? And so I, I, started, I started doing some research about, about human thought. And, it, and I came across this amazing story about this lady who, uh, in college... Uh, for some reason, she got involved with a class for deaf students, and basically they put all the deaf students in one room and, and had a, a class, and she was supposed to be an interpreter, but she didn't know any sign language, but she wanted to, so she started learning it, and she noticed there was one man who was uh, 23 years old, I, I believe, and he was standing against the wall, and he was like kind of covering himself up, and he wouldn't look at anybody, and he was very much by himself. And so she went over and tried to sign the little bit that she knew to him. And he just kind of looked at her and blankly. And she, she said pretty quickly she realized that this man didn't know any sign language. And uh, she found out the history on him that he was born in Mexico and that his parents didn't, uh, didn't speak, didn't have no sign language of any sort and, uh, and didn't teach him to sign. And so he never learned language. Uh, she found out later that he had a brother that they came up with some hand signs, some of their own makeshift sign language. But she went, she went through a, a process of teaching him sign language by pretending not to because she found that she would act like she was teaching an empty chair and he'd watch her. And eventually he started to catch on and she talks about how, um, how he, he recognizes that these signs mean things. Um, and she asked him later about what his life was like before he knew a language and what he thought like. And he said, and she said he never would want to talk about it because he's talked about how he was just in darkness. And why does everyone want to know? Because scientists want to know. They're like, how do people how do people think when they don't have a language to think in? And so he was basically what they they said was that he was very he was so limited in his thought by these hand gestures and things that he had learned with his brother. But a really fascinating thing, and as I as I looked more into it, I found that that this is one of the the big concerns that that doctors have with with children that are born deaf is that if they're not 
taught a language uh, when they're very young, they, it ends up um, stalling their intellectual development. Um, anyway, just fascinating stuff about how, how would men act uh, if they didn't have a language. And so, um, you know, ultimately, they, scientists and linguists can't explain how language came about. And so the question is, well, why don't they accept that God did it? Well, the same reason people don't accept that God created everything, because they don't want there to be a God. It's not uh, because they say, well, um, God is not rational. It's because God does not fit into what they decided, uh, they d- what they desire to be rational. More often than not, it's not a, an intellectual problem. It's a, it's a philosophical problem. Um, it's not that they don't see that a God could create everything, but rather if a God did create everything, then there's an issue. Because if there's a God that created me, I might be responsible to him. Anyway, verse 5, verse 5, because said, it says here that God, you know, God created man, and uh, Adam was speaking from the beginning. And so you know, it seems pretty clear that God created Adam uh, with the ability to speak and with, with language. Um, and so we're going to see that all the people spoke one language, and in verse 5 we see um, God's response. So, but the Lord, it says, came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of man had built. Now something interesting about this, it says, but the Lord came down. Which seems kind of strange. I talked about last week about how some people like to try to make the story uh, a mythological story, uh, being that that mythology being man's creating of stories to explain things he doesn't understand, and so to not to explain why there's all different language they came up with the story. And one of the things they say is, "We'll see, God came down," and that's not consistent with the rest of the Bible, which talks about God being omnipresent, God being everywhere, uh, but. If, if you read the Bible carefully, carefully, you'll find that there are times where God does things that seem to be a little strange. It seems like if God is, a, God is spirit who is everywhere, then how does God walk in the garden with Adam? And how does God come down to see the tower? And, and what this is, is called um, is often called a, a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Um, and so... Uh, what that means basically is before Jesus was born, laid in a manger, he existed. The Bible tells us that first um, in John chapter 1 and in other places we see that Jesus always existed, that he uh, is eternal and he is God and that he would show up. In the Old Testament we see a number of times where he shows up in physical form. Uh, he walked in the garden with Adam in Genesis 32. We'll read about this in a couple weeks or maybe in a couple years depending on how long it takes me to get through chapter 11. Uh, Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob wrestles with God. Uh, wrestling with a spirit would be a little weird, uh, but re- he wrestles with this with this um, with this man who we find out is God. Jacob says, "I have seen um, God face to face, and my life is preserved." Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you know the story from the book of Daniel, where these uh, three boys refuse to bow down to a statue and are thrown into a furnace. And when the king looks in, he sees not three, but he sees. He sees four, and he says one looks like the Son of God. Um, also, um, in the book of Joshua, right before the Battle of Jericho, uh, a man uh, stands up with a sword uh, and opposes Joshua, and Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Um, and so he said, No, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, and I have, um, and have now come. And Joshua falls down and worships him. Now, if he's an angel... 
He will not allow himself to be worshipped. We see this in the book of Revelation. An angel appears to John, and John falls on his face to worship him. And the angel says, whoa, whoa, see that you don't do that. Because angels are just messengers and servants. And uh, you don't bow down to the servant. Um, And yet, there are times in the Bible where we see uh, a character in the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord. And there's times where where different people like Gideon... um, Abraham, they offer sacrifices or they offer gifts or they offer worship to the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord receives that. Uh, and so we recognize that the angel of the Lord in those cases is, uh, is a Christophany, a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus. Jesus uh, in the form of a man prior to his birth in Bethlehem. So anyway, there's a number of those. They're kind of fun to look up, different appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, and so that's what I believe this is, is, that when it says the Lord came down, that he came down uh, as the second person of the Trinity in the uh, form of a man. All right, verse 6. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. It's kind of an interesting verse because he talks about, look, all the people have one language, and whatever they set their minds to do, they're going to do it. Uh, a lot of people like to say things like, if the Lord's not in it, it won't work. But what they really mean to say is if the Lord's not in it, it's not going to last. Because if the Lord's not in it, it's not lasting until eternity. But man, men do amazing things, amazing things, without involving God, without asking God for assistance. Um, people can do amazing things in their own power. United people can do amazing things, and united people can do horrific things. Just imagine Hitler by himself. How many Jews is he going to gas? Not very many. But you get a united people along with him and you see horrific things happening. Horrific things happen when united people leave God out. When we set out to do something great for the Lord, far too often we think that we could do it if we had more money more manpower, more publicity, more support from people in the church, whatever. Uh, And this happens. A lot of times people have this idea in their mind. They think, this is what I want to do for the Lord. Now, if I just had the money. Oh, this is what I want to do for the Lord. If only I had more people to help me. If only I had this. If only I had that. And what we forget to do is say, wait a minute. If God has put this upon my heart for me to do, my job is just just to do it. And allow God to provide the people, the power, the money, the finances, whatever God needs to get it done. Uh, allow God to do it. Uh, the problem is that uh, a lot of times we, we accomplish our goal apart from him. We gather up a bunch of money. We gather up a bunch of uh, people. We do a bunch of marketing, whatever. And um, when we accomplish it, who gets the glory? You know, it's, a, it's one of those things that sometimes we have to be careful about, that, uh, that we don't give glory to our method and to our, uh, to our, our work crew and whatever else, but give, give the glory to God. It's how much better is it to just obey God and let him provide than try to come up with all the schemes and all the plans and all the ways. And far too often, really, what generally happens to people when they have these big ideas and they have all the, all the needs is that they sit around and wait for the needs to be fulfilled and nothing ever happens. You do have those that are motivated and they go out and they do all the work uh, themselves. And, and again, we can do amazing things without God, but why not, do, um, why not just simply obey and let God provide and let God do amazing things through us? Verse 7, it says, Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, 
that they may not understand one another's speech. Now here's another one of those interesting times in the Bible where we see God referring to himself as us. Years ago, I noticed this, um, man, years and years ago, and I decided to look it up, and I saw that in my, I think it was probably I looked it up like this. I wonder what that means. Oh, there's a note here at the bottom of my Bible. That was my old type of studying. It was, for those of us with effort, AC, footnote, oh, I'll move my eyes to the bottom of the page. Oh, there's the answer. And what it said was that uh, this was speaking as royalty, because royalty always speaks as we. I think they're missing the point. Uh, the point is that God, from the beginning in the Bible, not just in the New Testament, is triune, that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. What does that mean? Well, that means the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But what's interesting is the word Lord there is the word that we, um, we often pronounce Yahweh, but the word God is Elohim. Now, if you are familiar with, uh, with any Hebrew at all, you'll come across this I am ending, like Elohim or Nephilim. It's, um, it's plural. Cherub, one little chubby guy in a diaper. Cherubim, multiple chubby guys in diapers. Probably not. Um, angels, uh, cherubs, and, um, and seraphs. So we, that's how we often say cherubs and seraphs, but cherubim is the plural, seraphim uh, is, the, is the plural. And so what's interesting is when he says the Lord our God, what he says is Yahweh our God is one, but what he says is our God plural is one, which should be a confusing thing. If you don't understand that God is a trinity, why would you say the Lord our, it's like saying the Lord our gods is one. Um, very strange, and yet our God is a plural singular. He's a plural singular. Um, he's one God in, in, th- in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it only would make sense that he would say, let us go down and confuse their languages. So God confuses their languages. Why does God confuse their languages? To bring about obedience. Sometimes the trials in our life are just that. Sometimes we look at the trials and we whine and complain and we kick and we scream and we forget that sometimes the things we think that we've lost, whether it be possessions, positions, relationships, or whatever, have been taken from us in order to bring about obedience in us. Verse 8 and 9. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The Lord scattered them abroad and they ceased building the city. I read that and I always give me one of those duh moments. The Lord scattered them abroad and they ceased building the city. Well, yeah, because he scattered them abroad. But uh, actually, um, some people remained. There were some, some people that that was the area of where they, they remained. But uh, basically the point being that the Lord scattered them and those who remained did not complete building um, the tower that they were building. They ceased their building at that point. Of course, people later on did uh, continue to build the city, which became Babylon, still exists today. God has plans for it. Um, but wait, something else I like about this. Verse 8, the Lord scattered them abroad. The Lord scattered them abroad. Now, what does this mean? 
What does this mean? Did God use natural occurrences? Did God use, say, an ice age where the water levels of the oceans dropped and there was a land bridge between Siberia and Alaska and the people, uh, the people commuted? Is that the word? No. Migrated across, and then they moved down south as the ice age, as the ice age continued, and the ice pushed them southward, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I don't know if you learned that stuff in school. That's kind of what they taught us, um, is how the nations, um, how the people spread from uh, around the world. Now, did God do it that way? Maybe. Maybe. Or did God use teleportation. My wife wants to have the ability to teleport. She tells me every time we're on a long drive, I wish I could teleport. That wasn't her original superhero power that she wanted. She had a different power. I'll let her tell you about it. (laughs) Now you're going to have lots of people asking you about your superpower. It's a good superpower. It's a very good one. Um, I'm in so much trouble. Oh, boy. Why did I? Oh, that seems kind of far out that God would just say, hey, I'm going to scatter some people. Pooh! Could God do that? Has God ever teleported anybody? Yeah. Yeah, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, 39. Um, there's a story about Philip. And Philip is a Christian, and there's a um, an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot, and he's trying to, he's reading a, He's reading a scripture, but he doesn't understand it. It's from Isaiah. And so Philip's like running alongside. Hey, you know what you're reading? He's like, no. How can I read it unless somebody explains it to me? And so um, Peter, or Philip explains it to him. And uh, Philip baptizes the, uh, the eunuch. And then it says in verse 39, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found in Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And so, yeah, God's teleported somebody before. Now, did he do it with the whole world? I don't know. We just know God scattered them. Did God do it miraculously? Maybe. That'd be really cool. Did God use natural occurrences to do it? Maybe. That'd be cool, too. But I think sometimes we need to be careful that we don't abandon the supernatural for the comfort of what is explainable. I think we need to be careful that we don't abandon what is supernatural for the comfort of what is explainable. My wife asked me a question this week because a couple weeks ago I banged my elbow on a drum set. Don't do that. And like ever since, my elbows hurt. And I was like doing what I do when there's nothing else to do, complaining. I was like, my elbow hurts. And Holly says to me, did you pray? Took some aspirin. Uh, but it's one of those things that oftentimes this is what we tend to do, is that we tend to set aside the supernatural for what's explainable. Rather than seeking God for a supernatural event, we, we just go to what's explainable and, and understandable by us. And, and so I had, to, I had to ask myself this question, and I ask you the same question. Is your life supernatural, or is your life explainable? Is your life supernatural, or is your life explainable? And then, what do you want your life to be? Do you want your life to be supernatural or do you want your life to be explainable? Have you met those people that when they start telling you about your li- their life, you're like, that is so amazing. That is so awesome. That's the kind of life I want. I want to have the kind of life where 
when I tell people about what God's done, that they can't be like, oh, yeah, something like that happened to my cousin once, where they're just like, that is awesome, where they have no explanation, no way to explain it except the supernatural. That's what I want my life to be. And so what do you want your life to be? Do you want your life to be supernatural or do you want it to be explainable? Now, here's another question. Which do you expect it to be? Do you expect your life to be explainable or supernatural? I'm expecting that all of you are saying supernatural in your head on every one of these. So if you're not, you need to right now change your answers because otherwise my next question isn't going to make any sense. Because if you're like, I want explainable, I want explainable. Just turn to the person next to you and say, slap me, silly. Like everybody's like, please, please turn to me and say it. Some of you are looking at your spouse going, I know what you're expecting. So you just better just bring your face over. What do you expect it to be? Now, here's the next question. What steps are you taking to ensure that your life is supernatural and not explainable? What steps are you taking? Now, because um, I think it's only fair if I tell you um, how to do this, not to let you go home and saying, I got to figure out how to make my life supernatural. Here's how you do it. Are you ready? Here's how you do it. Obey God. Period. That's it. If God says to do it, then you do it. Well, I don't get it. Doesn't matter. Because if you wait till you get it, then your life's explainable. Don't wait till you get it. Just say this is what God said to do. You read your Bible and you see God's talking about tithing and you say, I'm going to do that. You read your Bible and it says um, something else. Well, I'm trying to think of other crazy stuff the Bible says. And some people are like, well, you know, my favorite one in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7 where it says if you are, if you are, if you are bound to a wife, do not be, seek to be loosed from a wife. If you are loosed from a wife, do not seek to be bound to one. In other words, don't seek to be unmarried if you're married. And if you're unmarried, don't seek to be married. That's crazy. How am I going to get a husband and a hot one? Don't worry about it. Well, I don't get it. That doesn't make any sense. What do you want, explainable or supernatural? Do you want supernatural husband or do you want explainable husband? Yes. But here's the amazing thing about our God. Now you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. How are we going to do it if Jared's taken? Supernatural. Supernatural. What do you want? What do you want? When it comes to your future, you want supernatural or you want explainable? What do you want? Obey God. Say, God, I don't know where you want me to do. I've taken the step. I've already applied to this college. I've been accepted to this college. I've paid tuition, but I don't know if that's where you want me to go. It's too late. You already paid your money. You have to. No! You can do something crazy. You can go and say, you know what? God, I already paid my money. I already did all this stuff. Is that where you want me to go? And he might say, yes. And he might go, "Uh uh-uh. And you know what? Good! Because you didn't need that money anyway. Yes, I did. No, Maybe you did. I don't know. Well, how am I going to afford the place that God told me to go? Explainable or supernatural? What do you want? What do you want? Starts with obedience. Just believe God and do what he says. Believe God, do what he says. If you don't believe me that this is how it works, read the Bible, and you'll see people that God says to do something, and then they do it, and then what happens? Supernatural. That's how it works. Let's pray. 
God, I pray that we would be a bunch of people that have supernatural lives, that when it comes to raising our kids, when it comes to doing our job, when it comes to the places we go, when it comes to our uh, future relationships, when it comes to our money, when it comes to our time, Lord, I pray that we would lay it all at your feet, that we would seek to follow you and obey you in every little thing, not just the big things, not just the things we, are, we agree with, not the, the things we want to do, but that when we open up your word and when we hear what it says, when we see the commands that you've laid out, when, you've see, when we hear what you've called us to do, that we would be the ones that say, God, this is what I'm doing because this is what you've said to do, and I believe that you know what's best. And I believe that you have a plan. I believe that you have designed me to do something, and you have prepare, you're preparing me to do something, and I may not know what it is, but, God, I'm ready to go. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to lay down what I have at your feet for you to use. Lord, I pray that we would be the ones, that the journey would be a, a group of people with supernatural stories, that when we talk to friends, when we talk to neighbors, that they will not be able to deny the God that we serve because of the life that we live, the way that you work through us, the way that you impact the world around us. Lord, I pray that we become sick and tired of living lives that don't impact anybody in any way positive at all. Lord, I pray that we'd be tired of wasting our time, that we'd be tired of investing our money and our effort in things that are not lasting and not important. Lord, I pray that we would get tired of explainable and that we would be fired up and excited about the supernatural. Lord, I pray that you would bless people as they go today, that you would uh, just stir in them a fire and a desire to know you more. For those, you, for those of them that, um, that have been struggling with with following you because they just don't see you working. I pray that they would uh, just lay it all down, that they would let go of those things that they're holding on to, that they would, uh, today would be the day that they say, no more halfway. I'm all in.